Good evening. Thank you for joining us both in person and at home. My name is Rachel Diamond. This is the City of Ventura Director's Hearing for Thursday, February 29th, 2024. It's 6 p.m. We're in the City Council Chambers at 501 Poli Street or you're online at home. Thanks for joining us. And I'm wearing a black dress. Um, for those of you who can't see, that's how that works. Um, so we are going to go through our agenda and uh, we have quite a lofty agenda today. So thank you all for your patience. Um, first, we're gonna start with public communications. This is a time for the hearing for members of the public to address the hearing officer, me, on plan, planning related business other than scheduled agenda items. Clerk, do we have any speakers for public communications? We have no speakers for this item. Thank you. Moving on, we have the consent items. The first is the approval of the director's hearing January 25th, 2024 meeting minutes, as well as uh, the second consent item, the Little Lion alcohol use permit located at 5952 Telegraph Road, which is a request for an alcohol use permit for a type 41 license, which is on sale beer and wine at an eating establishment for alcohol sales at a new 2,682 square foot restaurant called the Little Lion located on a 0.94 acre site in the Victoria Plaza Shopping Center and in the C2 General Commercial Zoning District with the land use designation of commerce. Um, for the, the first item, the recommendation was approved as presented. For that second item that I read into the record, the recommendation was to approve the alcohol use permit as conditioned in the resolution that's attached. And I'll go ahead and move um, approval of both of those consent items. So both are approved, thank you very much. And we'll move on to formal items. Number three is project 230431, Clemens Residence Administrative Coastal Development Permit located at 2950 Bayshore. This evening we have Grant with a presentation. Grant? Good evening, my name is Grant White and I'm an assistant planner. The case before you is the Clemens Residence Administrative Coastal Development Permit. Next slide, please. The project site is located at 2950 Bayshore Avenue. The project site is located on the east side of Bayshore Avenue within the Keys area of the Pierpont community. The property is within the single family R16 zone and within the coastal zone. The property is part of the Pierpont Keys waterfront lots, commonly referred to as Track 1601. The land use designation is existing urban. The 4,500 square foot lot contains an existing 2,057 square foot, two-story single family residence with a 501 square foot attached garage. Site access is taken from Bayshore Avenue and will not be affected by the proposed project. Next slide, please. The scope of work includes a remodel to the existing two-story re single family residence. The proposed addition includes a 161 square foot first floor addition an approximate 1,000 square foot second level addition and a 653 square foot roof deck with an enclosed roof stair access and mechanical room to the existing residence. The project also includes significant interior renovations. Next slide, please. The addition will not project into the side or rear yard setback any closer than the existing residence. The front yard will decrease due to the garage expansion but will conform to the R16 zone. Additionally, the addition will increase the overall height of the home, but will meet the height standards of the R16 zone by not exceeding 30 feet in height. The addition will increase the lot coverage of the property from 41 to 
Overall, the proposed project is compatible with the established physical scale and character of the area and no variances are required. The proposed project conforms to all of the R16 development standards set forth in section 24.210 of the San Buenaventura Municipal Code. Next slide, please. Staff recommends that the director approve the administrative coastal development permit as conditioned. Thank you for that presentation. I just want to be clear um, for those of you watching at home and in the audience, for um, an administrative coastal development permit, there's very specific findings that we need to make in order to approve this application. So I think sometimes those findings are not necessarily related to certain aspects of the development that people think that we review here. Um, so I like to be really clear about what those permit findings are and how we use that to make a determination on this project and others. For coastal development permit findings, the first one is that it doesn't, the project doesn't significantly obstruct public views of the coastline, views from any public road or from a public recreation area. Obviously the addition does change the, the view, but I think one of the things that you know in the resolution that's attached to the staff report is that there isn't any um, obstruction of the coastline from the street or from the property. Can you confirm, do we consider the body of water behind the house, the, um, the canal, to be part of the coastline? Or is it really the ocean beyond that? I would say it would be the, the coastline would be the ocean. Okay, thank you. That's just, I wanna make sure that that's really clear that this, you know, while uh, feeding into the ocean is not part of that ocean view. Um, and based on the findings and, and from the plans that I reviewed, there was no impacts to those views. Um, the second finding is about compatibility with the established physical care, scale and character of the area. I know I'm working in questions and going through this with you, Grant, so thanks for bearing with me. Um, but I think that you really clearly outline why this meets kind of the, the character of the neighborhood. Would you say that this house is, is typical of new homes that you're seeing in this neighborhood? Yes, I would. There's an eclectic mix of varying height and structures in the Pierpont communities, and um, this would be compatible with the established physical scale and character of the area. Thank you. Um, those are my questions, but I will go through the last two findings. Um, the third is that it's compatible with all provisions of the municipal code and the comprehensive plan, which for the coastal area is the 1989 comprehensive plan. And um, being a single family home in this area, um, it meets all of those standards and um, meets all of the requirements of coastal public access and isn't impacting those. And the fourth is that the proposed development is permitted by the comp plan. Um, this is a single family home in a single family district that specifically accommodates this type of development. And for those reasons, I will go ahead and approve resolution number CD 2024. I don't have a number on that, sorry. Project number 2020-220431 as conditioned. Thank you. Our next item on the agenda is number four, the Rossi residence, um, administrative coastal development permit located at 1200 Sagamore Lane. Grant with another presentation, thank you. Thank you. Um, again, for the record, my name is Grant White, I'm assistant planner. The case before you is the Rossi Residence Administrative Coastal Development Permit. Next slide, please. Um, this project site is located at 1200 Sagamore Lane. The project site is located on the corner of Pierpont Boulevard 
and the south side of Sagamore Lane within the Pierpont Lanes community. This property is within the single family beach zone, R1B, within the coastal zone, and the land use designation is existing urban. The existing 3,818 square foot lot contains an existing 1,980 square foot two-story single family residence with a 609 square foot attached garage. Site access is taken from Pierpont Boulevard and will not be affected by the proposed project. Next slide, please. The complete scope of work includes the construction of a 161 square foot second floor deck addition to the southwest facade, the rear of the residence. A 42 inch high cable guardrail will address the exterior edges of the deck and a new spiral staircase will be featured on the south side of the deck providing ingress and egress to the backyard below. Next slide, please. The addition will not project in the side or front yard setback any closer than the existing residence. The rear yard setback will decrease with the addition of the deck, but will conform to the R1B zone standards. The deck will increase the lot coverage of the property from 35.6% to 40%. Overall, the proposed project is compatible with established physical scale and character of the area and no variances are required. Next slide, please. Staff's recommending that the director approve the administrative coastal development permit as conditioned. Thank you. Thank you so much for that grant. Uh, I apologize, I didn't offer if there is an applicant who would like to speak on this item and also following that we'll have public speakers if there are any. Did the applicant want to make any comments? I believe the applicant for this project is joining us via WebEx. Okay. Mr. Miller, you're on, um, um, I've promoted you to panelist. If you could unmute yourself, if you'd like to speak, that would be great. Hi, thank you very much. I'm, I'm just here to answer questions if there is any. Thank you so much. Do we have any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? No public comments. Um, you know, this is, I'll, I'll just, go into it. I mean, looking at the staff report and the plans, this is the same findings that are required as the previous item. Um, this project doesn't significantly obstruct public views of the coastline in any way, particularly because of the layout of this site being along Pierpont and its location. Um, it's very much compatible with the established physical scale and character of the area. The house is what it is. This is an addition of a, of a deck and truly isn't really changing any sort of massing on this property. Um, additionally, um, Grant did a great job of confirming that all applicable provisions of the municipal code and comprehensive plan are being followed. And just like in the other project, this is an R1B zone. Um, it's created for single family residents of which this is already one. This is an addition. And the reality is because we're in the coastal zone, we have to be here to have this approval and have a process that's open to the public. Um, so I'm happy that you're all here, um, both here and virtually. Um, with that, I will go ahead and approve this application, project number 23-0471, with all of the findings made in the resolution and conditions as authored by staff. Thank you. We'll move on to the next item, item number five, which is project 230827, North Ventura Avenue caretaker unit use permit located at 2176 North Ventura Avenue. Tyler? 
Yes, good evening. Um, for the record, my name is Tyler Walter. I'm a senior planner here. The project number, as noted, is Project 23287 for the North Ventura Avenue caretaker unit at 2176 North Ventura Avenue. Anyways, the subject property situated at 2176 North Venter Avenue is located in the West Side community and occupies 0.59 acres on an industrial lot within the M2 zoning district. Currently, the site is utilized for various purposes, including storage sheds, an office alongside two structures. One of these structures, a modular unit, is planned to be used as an accessory office space, while the other, a non-modular unit, is proposed to serve as a caretaker's residence. That next slide, please. The project involves taking an existing 960 square foot module building and converting it into an accessory structure for office space, as well as taking a 370 square foot building existing on the site and converting that into a caretaker unit. Above is a location where the two structures would be, and both structures would adhere to lot coverage, setback, and height regulations of M2 zoning. Next slide, please. Above are the floor plans for the caretaker unit as well as the modular office building. Next slide, please. As proposed, the caretaker unit and the accessory structure is a use that staff sees as appropriate with the general plan and the zoning of the subject property. Use permits within the city contain certain regulations to control any nuisance factors that would be associated with such a use and imposing any necessary conditions for orderly operation and compliance of relevant laws and regulations. As depicted, the proposed project aligns with the general plan and the zoning ordinance, and which would allow the caretaker, accessory, the caretaker to operate as an accessory structure within an industrial area. The project contains adequate infrastructure and access since it's an industrial development from 1950, built in 1956, ensuring that there's no detriment to public health, safety, and welfare. Further, it should be stressed that no new construction would be undertaken for this as these are two existing buildings. And the caretaker unit would provide affordable housing for an industrial worker on the site as well as provide overnight security for the parcel itself. Next slide, please. With that, staff recommends that the director approve the use permit as conditioned. This concludes staff's presentation. Thank you. Thank you for that presentation. I mean, this is certainly super interesting and something that we don't see very often. Oftentimes we talk a lot about how to separate industrial uses from residential, and this is doing a bit of the opposite and bringing residential into the industrial. Do we have, um, have we approved a lot of these use permits in the past? I'm personally unaware of any recent use permits of this, but I will note, and I forgot to mention in the presentation that near this site are several different types of residential apartment units nearby, so it's not particularly unusual that there is some residential type uses within the vicinity of this industrial parcel, which is pretty commonplace in the west side area. 
And so this will specifically be used for a caretaker who works and lives on site. Correct. And so that condition gets included in the resolution to ensure that that's, it's not an outside person? Yes, there's a condition within the resolution that indicates that the person that lives in the caretaker unit would be an employee. Is this a fully functioning individual dwelling unit? It has a kitchen net, it has a kitchen and a stovetop from my understanding. And then it would have a, it would basically be a studio type size with a bedroom area adjacent to the kitchen space. And it's a, a full bath or half bath? It'd be a full bath. There yeah. is a- Okay, I see the shower, okay. Okay, so um, can you speak a little bit to the conditions of approval that you highlight in the staff report on page two and three? What are we doing to make sure that we're limiting impacts of both the residential outside and then the industrial to the residential? My understanding would be that the conditions would limit, well, as I did bring up earlier, it would limit the person that's living on site to being an employee of the company on site. It would also limit have restrictions on noise to limit any activity that occurs after certain hours. Um, was there anything you were specifically? Um, how about? are we dealing with um, security on site? Are there any conditions about lighting, alarm systems, that sort of thing? From what I remember, there was nothing that explicitly talked about security as far as lighting, from what I remember in the staff report. Do we, are there any amenities for, so one of the, I'm just looking at the, you know, requirements of the municipal code, which talks about use permits and conditions that may be imposed, and I know they're not all in the reso, but are there any um, pedestrian amenities on the site, such as adequate walkways, seating areas, bike racks, other similar? Honestly, no, it's quite on, I mean, there is sidewalk access, because there's sidewalk alongside the street, but the property itself is primarily asphalt and areas for access for trucks. There is a little bit of separation between the entryway of the caretaker unit when I visited the site, between that and loading bays and parking areas for trucks and vehicles that come on the site. Does someone already live in the unit? No. So this isn't a code issue that brought this up. This is, they came to us and said, we wanna bring a caretaker on site, right? Well, when I was on the site, from my understanding, when I was on the site, there was no evidence of anyone living there. It looked like it had been a recently renovated space. I do understand, it is my understanding that there had been some code violations on the property in the past, but when new ownership took over, there was an ongoing effort to kind of right any code compliance issues that were, on, that were occurring at the time. Um, has water signed off on this to determine that we can provide adequate services or is it just using existing infrastructure? Um, water signed off on it. I'm not sure if the infrastructure part had anything to do with it, but I do know the applicant and Ventura Water have been coordinating for a couple months about this, which is kind of why it's coming to you now instead of a few months ago. Okay. Well, thank you so much. That's the end of my questions. Do we have an applicant that wishes to speak on this item? Okay, do we have any public speakers or public comment? No public comments. 
Great, moving right along. There are a number of use permit findings that need to be made in order for me to approve this. This is definitely kind of a rare occurrence and something we don't see very often, but as many of you know, we have a severe housing crisis and providing housing for an employee on site is a great way to kind of check off multiple boxes where we can house someone in our community and maintain their ability to live here. And not only that, but in, in extremely close proximity to their employer and also provide security on site, which many of you know is can be a problem in um, industrial projects. Um, the use permit findings that are required um, include that the proposed use conforms to the general plan, which it does. Um, this type of industrial use specifically allows for a caretaker unit specifically for this purpose. Um, additionally, the proposed use will be served by adequate water, sewer, public utilities, and services, which is why I asked about um, why I asked about water signing off. That's always the most challenging, particularly, again, because this isn't something that we see very often. Um, and specifically that there's adequate vehicular and pedestrian access. I get that the site is set up to kind of be open, so I don't think we need to add any sidewalks. This person is someone who's using the site the way that it is operating, so I think that the site is adequate for that. Um, the building structures for the proposed use are definitely compatible with the scale, mass, bulk, and orientation. They're already there, and they, as you can see, do fit in with what's happening on this site. Um, the proposed use is compatible. This is always the challenge, right? We talk a lot about how residential isn't compatible with industrial uses. We hear this from our community over and over again. So this becomes a challenging um, finding. That being said, this is someone who's going to be on site and living there when um, and be there overnight when operations aren't occurring. So a lot of their day-to-day -day living is happening when they're not working. Um, and because of the specific nature of requiring that caretaker unit to be an on-site employee and someone who can provide security on site, it kind of changes the conversation a little. Right? Is it compatible to have 24-hour security at an industrial site? And the answer is absolutely yes. And I think the best way to be able to provide that is to be able to provide someone with um, living arrangements on the site. So I, for those reasons, I think that we can um, make that finding. Again, specifically, I think it also really helps that this is an existing building on site and is definitely part of the fabric of this industrial property. Um, those are the findings that need to be made. The project is um, exempt from CEQA under Section 15301. It's a Class One existing facility. Basically, we're taking an existing building and just changing the use inside of it. Nothing environmentally is changing. Um, and for all of those reasons, I will go ahead and approve this application as conditioned by staff. Thank you, Tyler. Moving right along to number six, project 15442, Olive Block Apartments, Plan Development Permit, Major Design Review, and Lot Line Adjustment located at 985 North Olive Street. Once again, Tyler Walter. Thank you. As noted, the project before you is project 15442, the Olive Block Apartments project, which is a request for a major design review, a lot line adjustment, and a planned development at 985 North Olive Street. The subject property is located along three parcels right now at 901, 943, and 985 North Olive Street, also in the Westside District area on a 0.6 acre site in C2 zoning. The three properties would be merged together through a lot line adjustment, and the sites are presently occupied by a recycling center and a storage yard. 
The scope of the project encompasses the entire city block outlined above in red. The properties are bound by Warner Street to the north, Olive Street to the east, Barnett to the south, and Snow Court to the west. The yellow outline represents the location of the existing project, and the red outline above represents nearby existing or entitled projects. Of those projects, nearby projects include the Westview Village, which is located to the northwest of the site, and the Bell and Olive mixed-use development, which has been approved, which is located about two blocks to the south of the site. The site itself is composed of industrial buildings, sheds, a storage yard, junkyards, and a recycling center. The, properties, the property is currently bound by overgrown shrubs and chain link fencing. Sidewalk only presently exists along Olive Street, and the applicant intends to demolish the existing structures on the site for the construction of the multifamily apartment complex. Other areas surrounding the site itself include a mixture of single-family buildings, multifamily buildings, and industrial buildings, as depicted on the site above. Most of the architecture found in the west side area is predominantly contemporary, craftsman, and industrial style, while the applicant has replicated this on their proposed project. Above is a proposed site plan and planting plan for the subject property. The applicant is proposing a multifamily residential apartment complex composed of 32 apartment units, four of which would be affordable units. The two-story building will feature 16 second-story units and 16 ground-level units. Of the four low-income units, two would be on the second floor and two would be on the first floor. The unit would have access, the units would have access from both the street and the interior parking lot, ensuring both pedestrian and vehicular access. The second story units would have a private 150 square foot open space balcony, and behind the units would be the 34 parking spaces, one of which would be an ADA compliant space. Within the parking lot, there would be tree plants and planting fingers that would be positioned every two parking stalls. On the ground floor, there are two common areas with outdoor seating totaling about 2,000 gross square feet. The entire perimeter of the property would be bound by sidewalks, which would include curb cuts at the street corners, as well as curb cuts for the vehicular access along Warner and Barnett Streets. Street trees in the street wells will be planted along Olive Street every 35 feet. The building design includes block-like elements with changes in colors in order to break up the massing and bulkiness of the building. Above are the building elevations, which are facing North Olive Street, which is the east elevation, and Snow Court, which is the west elevation. As mentioned, in order to avoid the massing and bulking of the building, the design of the apartment complex provides a block-like element with changes in colors and in materials. The second-story units would be recessed approximately 10 feet to allow for the staggering of the building and to provide a balcony for the second story units that would be bound by black aluminum railing. As mentioned, the parking would be situated behind the units themselves. Above are the north elevations which face Warner Street and the south elevations facing West Barnett Street. Continuing the building treatment, the building would use a mix of white standing seam metal sidings along with black stucco accents in order to distinguish the ground level from the second story units. Additionally, a portion of the second floor wall planned, planned is recessed to allow the staggering of the building, which would meet the 1997 design guidelines. 
Additionally, portions of the second floor would feature a western red cedar wood to further break up the building articulation while also adding further design interest. The corner units would feature additional windows to add a corner-like element to the project, and approximately halfway between the units, there's a break in the pattern to allow for both the common outdoor areas and a break in the building massing. Above is a parking diagram showing where the park the parking area behind the main buildings. As shown, there would be access on the north from West Warner Street and the south from West Barnett Street. Views of the parking area itself would be screened by the building itself as well as vegetation along Warner and Barnett Streets. Open space for the apartment complex is provided through private 150 square foot balconies for the second story units as well as a seating courtyard area in the center of the complex facing Snow Court and Olive Street. The courtyard area includes landscaping, a pergola, a grilling area, and seating. As part of the project, there would be public improvements including widening the sidewalk along Olive Street and providing sidewalks along Snow Court, West Barnett Street, and Warner Street where they currently do not exist, where currently sidewalks do not exist. As mentioned, street trees will be provided along all the street and spaced out every 35 feet. The rear parking area provides landscaping with planters and canopy trees. And as mentioned, the trees would be separated in the parking area with planting fingers every two parking spaces, which would meet the 1997 design guidelines. The permitting path involved going to the design review committee prior to the director's hearing. The design review committee met on March 15th, 2023, where they recommended approval for the proposed multifamily residential building design, emphasizing its colors and materials. They did provide a suggestion for widening the sidewalks on the northern side of the property facing West Warner Street from five feet to six feet to align with the 2008 design guidelines. The DRC unanimously recommended approval for the project to the director through a 5-0 vote. And the project proceeded to a director's hearing vote once the water and sewer study was complete in January of this year. The app, in addition to that, the applicant is requesting the following concessions for providing affordable housing units within the project. This includes the reduction in the front and rear yard setbacks. Additionally to that, the project would meet the following development standards with the exception to the rear and front yard setbacks, which would be reduced from 20 feet and 25 feet respectively to three feet. Above shows the standard development standards for R3 multifamily standards. It should be noted though that in C2 zoning per the ordinance, when exclusively residential projects are constructed on C2 zoning, they follow R3 multifamily guideline, zoning guidelines. With that, the director, rec the st staff recommends that the director approve the, the major design review, the lot line adjustment, and the plan development permit as condition. This concludes staff's presentation. Thank you. Thank you for that presentation. Um, just going through the plans, um, I think this is really beautiful. I'm super excited to see this um, because I think, and you touched upon this, there's a lot of elements of design here that while not matching necessarily what's next door is pulling from elements that you see in the neighborhood. And I think that that's 
really um, fantastic. It is a density bonus project, so there are some um, concessions that they're requesting. Can you tell me what's the front yard and what's the rear yard on what side of the property? It's my understanding that the front yard is along Olive Street and that the rear yard is along Snow Court. Okay, thank you. And so do we have, um, oh, one more question for you. Sure. You mentioned the courtyard and the area of the courtyard. Are we counting that as the area between the two buildings or are we calling the center of a parking lot the courtyard too? We are calling it the areas between the buildings that don't include the right-of-way for vehicular access. Fantastic. Um, I see that, you know, my, one of my questions was going to be how are we helping people understand that this is now an active drive aisle and I think the change in um, the change in pavement patterning is, is yeah. helpful at a minimum. Um, do we have anyone here for the applicant that would like to speak? I have the compensation for the whole thing. Okay, so that would be next. So I, it sounds like we don't have um, we don't have the applicant here, is that correct? Or someone who wants to speak. Do, if you don't want to speak, that's okay. I'm just here to answer questions. Okay, thank you. Um, I don't have any questions, but thank you for being here. And it sounds like we have a public speaker. Now's your chance, sir, thank you. And sir, once you're done, if you could fill out a speaker's card for us, that would be great. And if you could just introduce yourself. Okay. Too. Thanks. Um, first of all, thank you for letting me speak. My name's Neil Light. I live across the street at 982. Um, I have a problem with this development due to the fact that traffic and parking is quite a bit of a problem in that area. And I just feel like it'll cause more of a problem. And when you say, what, what was it, 34 spaces, I just have a feeling that the families will have more than one car and, of course, fill up the entire area. So with traffic and parking, it's a big problem. And also a slight, uh, <laughs> excuse me, uh, the possibility of crime because even the areas, the, the other areas where they built the new places, it's a lot of burglaries and all that and it's, it just kind of makes me worried a little bit. So, um, and also I wanted to inquire about with the low income, what the, uh, what your idea of low income is. Oh boy, sorry. So I think that's all I have right now. So um, if you have any questions that about my, uh, sorry, public speaking is not my thing. That's okay, you're doing great. Um, so if you have questions about my uh, about my opposition, I'd be glad to try to give an answer. Thank you so much. Um, so I did want to give you information about income levels, and I can talk to you afterwards if you want to stick around or um, 
we have standards that we basically base income levels um, for affordable housing based on area median income, and it depends on how many people are in your household. So there's kind of a big chart that shows you, okay, this is how many people you're in your household, and then this is the the um, income levels that would be a maximum. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to pull it up now so I can just tell you, but I apologize, I don't have it in front of me and I don't wanna misquote it, but we can certainly get that over to you. If you wanna leave your email in your comment, I can send it over so you have an idea. Um, I really appreciate your comments. I think we hear this a lot with these types of projects and the, the reality um, is that the state has effectively tied our hands um, in our inability to not approve projects like this for things like parking. And it specifically gives cities not only the ability to approve lower parking rates, but it gives developers the ability to, when they provide affordable housing and do what's called a density bonus project, to um, be able to reduce their requirements. So that's why, which are called concessions, right? And um, the state also has further limited our ability to challenge those concessions and to, to question whether they're necessary or not. And so as a result, you have multiple concessions being requested here. One is the setbacks, um, the setback reduction, which I think in looking at that is, um, to me, it feels better being pushed closer to the street in those locations. And I think it does actually help with the safety issue that you don't have this kind of deep lot there of kind of space in the front for people to hang out. Um, and then the other is the parking. And so typically a project like this would have more parking and you'd have maybe not two spaces a unit, but a little bit more than what they're providing. But the state law basic and, and our law that mirrors that allows you to get that parking reduction basically in exchange for providing the affordable housing on site. And this was a way for the state to kind of reduce barriers of entry and get affordable housing. So I hear you. I mean, I definitely understand your concern. When you live in a neighborhood where people don't have enough parking in their homes, which seems to be the case kind of neighborhood-wide, you, you end up with these situations where people are parking on the street. And I don't doubt that there will be people parking on the street from this project or visitors in the future. It's just part of what happens with development. But unfortunately, there's no way for me to take that piece into consideration and be able to decline the project for this. And I'll be totally honest and say there is a very, 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 very narrow space for me to say no to this project legally. And so I want to be clear about that to help you understand, because your concerns are real and they're, they're valid. And so I really do appreciate you coming forward. It's really difficult sometimes to speak here, but you're so welcome. And I'm, I'm just sorry that we can't address your concerns in a different way. I will say that based on our data, that you probably have a better uh, reduction in crime from having more of a presence of these residences on the street than the existing recycling facility. So I'm hopeful that this actually reduces crime instead of increases it in your neighborhood. And I think based on our data, you're likely to see that as a result. Um, one of the things that I think is also helpful in this case, and it's interesting to say because I don't love surface parking, but surface parking is actually what's going to guarantee that people are parking in these parking spaces and not turning them into, if it's a garage, an additional space or storage or what have you, you're not really going to be able to use these spaces as storage. They'll actually be utilized by cars, which I know in many cases people love to put stuff in their garage instead. That's their prerogative but this will ensure that at least one car is there. Um, so, you know, I, I hope that that can help alleviate some of these issues for you. Um, and I do, you know, really thank you for your comments. Um, with all of that though, and looking at the project, 
like I said, there's a very narrow window for us to deny this type of project. And frankly, when you go through all of the findings, they are being met by this project. And um, rather than go through them one by one, they are noted in the resolution that's attached, um, which is a resolution to approve a design review, lot line adjustment, and plan development for the Olive Block Apartments. And so because of that, I am going to approve the project. Um, and I, I hope that this is an improvement for you and your neighborhood and that ultimately they're a good neighbor to you. So thank you for coming and thank you to the applicants. I appreciate your time. So we're gonna move on to the next item. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, our last item is um, something that has been many moons in the making, Project 220018 Pierpont Inn Historic Design Review and Administrative Coastal Development Permit located at 550 Sanhone Road. We have Jared Rosengren. Jared? Thank you so much. Um, this evening, staff is requesting the director approve a proposed ren renovations to the Pierpont Inn located at 550 um, Sanhone Road by approving an administrative coastal development permit and historic design review. Can I, um, can I have the PowerPoint on the screen, please? in business. Thank you. Um, the Pierpont is located within the southeastern corner of the downtown community just north of Highway 101 and east of Sanhone Road. The property was designated local landmark number 80 by City Council in 1993 because of its association with the Pierpont and Gleichman families who operated the inn from its original construction in 1910. The inn represents the first important development of the beach tracks and help establish Ventura as a coastal tourist destination. The staff report describes in detail the proposed renovation project. The plans are attached to the draft resolution of, of the approval and shows all the proposed changes to each of the eight buildings on site as well as upgrades to the property's landscaping. The attached plans are also consistent with the Historic Preservation Committee's reviewed and recommended approval for um, that they reviewed in August of last year. 
The majority of the changes result in the rehabilitation or the upgrade to existing features, but I did want to highlight the addition of a new ADA-compliant sidewalk connection from the San Ho from San Juan Road to the main building. Currently, getting to the hotel from the public right-of-way requires walking uphill through a parking lot, and this proposed sidewalk will create a new connection as well as a safer way to get from San Juan to the main building. The proposed renovation was brought before the Historic Preservation Committee in January of 2021, February of 2023, and August of 2023, where the committee voted unanimously to recommend the Community Development Director approve the renovation. And subsequent to the Historic Preservation Committee's review of the project in February of 2023, the applicant and their design team met with representatives of the San Buenaventura Conservancy and the Midtown Community Council to discuss the proposed renovations where each group provided feedback. And based on HBC's uh, comments and those meetings, the plans were revised and brought before the HBC at their August meeting where they recommended their approval. Coastal permits and historic design review does not include the interiors of the buildings. Interior changes require building permits and those are routed to the planning division. And at that time, uh, planning staff reviews them and um, ensures that any proposed interior changes do not affect the exterior of the buildings in a way that would trigger a discretionary review. The project scope and design has been led by the company Page and reviewed and assisted by Page and Turnbull, an architecture, design, planning, and preservation firm whose staff meets or exceeds the Secretary of Interior Standards for professional qualifications for historic architecture, architectural history, or history. And their staff reviewed the historic photographs, historic aerials, photographs of existing conditions, and various existing historic reports on the, on the Pierpont Inn. Page and Turnbull, as part of the applicant team, has ensured that the proposed scope of work complies with the Secretary of Interior Standards for Rehabilitation, and that it will have minimal impact to the overall significance of the historic hotel. Additionally, a third-party peer review was conducted by Michael Baker International that evaluated the project against the Secretary of Interior Standards, and they concurred with the findings of Page and Turnbull and with staff's recommendation of approval. The project site is within two downtown specific plan zoning designations of commercial tourist oriented and the T4.3 urban general zones. The DTSP downtown specific plan was certified by the California Coastal Commission and serves as the local coastal plan, including the land use plan and the local implementation program. The DT DTSP states that the remodel and alteration to designated historic resources are not subject to urban standards of the code and instead requires review by the HPC and to follow the coastal permit procedures found in the municipal code. Um, staff has found that the proposed renovation is consistent with the zoning regulations found within the DTSP and the municipal code and in addition the Secretary of Interior Standards. Article 5 of the Downtown Specific Plan requires city staff to use the Secretary of Interior Standards um, to evaluate demolitions, alterations, and additions to historic resources. The standards are set are a set of 10 basic principles with the goal of preserving historic features of a building or site, but also allowing for reasonable changes to meet new needs. Page and Turnbull prepared an historic resources analysis where they concluded that the renovation was consistent with all 10 standards. 
And because of the size and the complexity of the site, staff has added condition number 26 requiring a qualified historic consultant to be part of the preparation of construction documents and to be made available to staff for consultation. This would include any field changes that occurred during the construction. And the project qualifies um, for a class one exemption from CEQA as it involves existing facility and a class 31 exemption as it involves the rehabilitation of historic structures consistent with the Secretary of Interior standards. And that concludes staff's presentation. We're recommending the director approve the historic design review and administrative coastal development permit. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jared. Um, I don't have any questions. Do we have the applicant present? We do have um, Bill Huey from Page here tonight. Hi, uh, good evening. Yeah. Thanks, Jared, yes. Uh, Bill Huey, architect with Page. Um, also here tonight is uh, Shashant Patel uh, with Three Thrones, uh, the ownership group. Um, <clears throat> thank you for that thorough review of the project history, Jared. Um, yeah, and I just wanna reiterate for uh, the director that we are really excited about proceeding with this project and breathing new life into this property, the old main building, while also honoring the legacy of the property and the importance to the uh, Ventura community. Um, in this design process, as Jared noted, we've worked closely with several groups, including the Conservancy, uh, whose uh, rep is here tonight, hi Steve, um, and uh, met several times with them working in, in uh, closely with the Historic Preservation Committee um, and appreciating and understanding, of course, the conditions that they're recommending. Uh, we're going to continue the engagement of Page and Turnbull through the construction process. In fact, we need to complete uh, construction documents. They'll be involved in specifications and then they'll be involved in the construction process with site visits, uh, review of mock-ups, and that kind of uh, uh, construction progress. So uh, with that, I'm happy to answer any questions you may have for the applicant. Thank you so much. Uh, I happen to be at the um, Historic Preservation um, Committee meeting to, to listen to the really thorough presentation about um, that happened last year and, um, and was really happy to see staff's really detailed review of this application in the staff report, in the presentation. It's really fantastic, and I think you did a great job. And frankly, I don't have questions for you except to say I think you did a great job with this project. Um, and I, I guess with that, I will open it up to other public comment. I believe Thank we you. have one. Thank you so much. Public comment? We have one speaker, Stephen Shaker. Oh, did you want to speak as well? Oh, you, you can, um, if I can call on this gentleman first to set, put in a card and then. And then do you want to fill out a card, sir? This way we have a record of you speaking and then you can speak afterwards. Good evening. Good evening. Hi there. Thanks for joining yeah. us. Yeah, uh, my name is Stephen Schaefer. I'm the president of the San Buena Ventura Conservancy for Preservation. And we have uh, worked very uh, long on this project and lobbied to make sure that it is something that we can really support and we can support it. We supported it um, at the HPC meeting in August. And um, I'm glad even though the, uh, the actual agenda here says that it's uh, exempt under the California Environmental Quality Act as a class one 15301, it's actually 
more importantly for the conservancy is that it is uh, exempt under the fact that, um, let me go to the actual language. In CEQA, there is a exemption for historical resource restoration and rehabilitation, class 31. And it consists of projects limited to maintenance, repair, stabilization, rehab, restoration, preservation of historic resources in a manner consistent with the Secretary of the Interior standards. And uh, not only the HPC, but also staff and the applicant and uh, the historic preservation team from Page and Turnbull are all focusing on that. And it's actually an interesting thing in uh, planning and development where you have a set of really, really objective standards that exists and everybody can look at them and say, all right, we are following these standards that makes this a historical rehabilitation. Uh, this is a very significant building in our community and I've, I've been known to call it a memory building. It's a building, which is not a technical term, but it is a building where the Elks Law, uh, the Elks and the Masons and the Moose have had meetings over the last hundred years and uh, now it has been closed for a number of years and we haven't been making any memories there. But the com it's a, it's a very significant part of the community and it would be great to start making those memories and, and we're interested as a historic preservation organization in supporting the fact that that it's going to still signify and represent its significance to the history of Ventura and that as long as it follows the Secretary of the Interior standards there's a really sort of easy way to make sure that the process moves forward that it is exempt from CEQA, that it um, is uh, something that, that either staff or HPC or, or the consultant can look at and say, all right, this is consistent. And in our case, we were very concerned about the windows, the wood windows, the wood shingles on the outside, the wood siding on the outside, and really having the building reflect and exemplify what it always has. And those materials are very important. So we support the project, and I'm glad it's moving forward. Thank you very much. Our Thank next you. speaker is Jeffrey Forrest. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I have a new re re resident here. I've been here about two years, uh, and I am thrilled and give my unconditional support of this project. I want to thank Three Thrones, Page and Turnbull, and others who will be coming together to make this happen. A few years back when I served as a VP of an organization, I brought a regional team from around the state to Pierpont, and it did not go well. I'll just say that because of the fact that we were looking for a certain level, and that level was not met in terms of standards and quality of the type of presence that we were looking for. And I just know the city of Ventura deserves something really on a higher level. And to see this going forward, uh, living right across the street from Pierpont, I'm very thrilled about it and just wanted to come here to say to Three Thrones and everybody else, Thank you for your investment and look forward to seeing the new Pierpont 2.0. Thank you. And that thank you is so much. That concludes our public comments. Great, thank you. Um, like I said, the staff report is very thorough and I think really dives into some of the details that we didn't see. Part of why I didn't dive into a ton of questions, I feel like it really covered everything. Um, so if you have questions at home, feel free to read that staff report and the, um, and the resolution that's attached. Um, the resolution goes through the various findings that need to be made, and this is really a multi-pronged approval today, including design review, uh, specifically historic design review. Um, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the, the wrong one because my computer has so many things open, I apologize. Um, 
but historic design review as well as um, the coastal development permit um, for Pierpont Inn. So when we talk about coastal development permit findings, we talked a lot about those in some previous items. Um, specifically, the location of the Pierpont Inn is actually very helpful in this way in that because of its location and adjacency to the freeway on the other side of the um, freeway from the beach, um, you really limit that issue of complicating the coastline and views of the coastline. Additionally, you're not really doing any um, additional height on these buildings that, that's going to impact that negatively. And I think that's really important to say that no public view of the coastline, view from any public road or from a public recreation area will be affected or changed from these conditions um, because they're not changing in that way. I think what we're seeing is really um, like you said, sir, I think it was so helpful to understand, like this is really a huge investment in this property to bring it back to what it once was. And I, I really appreciate you talking about memory making and the way that this project makes memories. And I've heard so many stories from people about their time there and family events and things like that. And so to hear that this type of improvement is really going to take it back to that place and actually really honor the historic presence of the building um, is really important. I think, you know, again, there's not really any change that's changing the scale and character of the area. We're really bringing this back to its glory. And I really thank the Conservancy for working with the applicant. Um, you certainly don't have to do that, and you do, and you make projects better by working. And I appreciate the applicant coming to the table to work with the Conservancy and making sure that we're meeting Secretary of Interior standards, because as you know, it's really complicated to meet these standards. And so, Jared, I really appreciate the condition that we have a consultant working, a historic preservation consultant specifically working on the, the plans to make sure that those tiny minor details are actually representative of a certain time and place so that they can um, effectively make the, the project back to its you know, period of, of significance. Um, additionally, you know, just generally, the project is in conformance with the municipal code. This isn't a major expansion. This is really a renovation. And the ADA improvements um, not only comply with the municipal code, but kind of further help us comply with state and federal laws related to accessibility. And that's extremely important. And I'm really um, happy that that's a huge driver of this project in addition to restoration. Um, additionally, um, this is permitted in the comprehensive plan. This predates the comprehensive plan. So <laughs> it was really written in to accommodate this. There's a lot of conditions about coastal bluffs, and I think there's a lot of confusion about this property because we say it's on a bluff, but it's actually not in what we consider to be the actual coastal bluff for the purposes of a coastal development permit because the coastal bluff area is actually an overlay that exists on the other side of the freeway on the beach side. And so this project doesn't actually need to meet any requirements related to coastal bluffs because it's not in one. Additionally, for the historic design review findings, this is where it gets complicated because again, you know, there's a lot of work being done to make sure that you're meeting the Secretary of Interior standards. And while they're broad and narrow at the same time, it's, it's complicated. So I appreciate the work that you've done both from the architects and the historic preservation consultants to make sure that we're meeting these findings. And I believe, rather than go through all of them, I will say there's a, an error on the resolution. Starting on page three for historic design review findings, all, there, two of them have a number eight. So I think, do we restart the, the numbers usually for the second set of findings? 
or just continue the list usually. So we'll just have to, after the first number eight, the next one is nine, and add one to the rest of them um, to fix that error. So we'll put that into the record. Um, but ultimately, you know, the design and layout of the proposed development really accommodates what they're doing on the site. Um, and this is really seeking to enhance, um, enhance the project itself. Everything is compatible with the character of the surrounding neighborhood. This established the character of the surrounding neighborhood. And I think that's really important to establish as well for the record. Um, I think it is, it speaks volumes that we meet the, um, the finding that the proposed de development provides a desirable environment for its occupants and visiting public. Creating accessibility is of paramount importance to allow people to enjoy um, everything. And without that, um, we are limited because not everyone can enjoy them. So I'm thrilled to see, I know you're required to do ADA improvements, but this goes above. And, and I appreciate that because I assume that it is very complicated. I saw that ramp. It will be interesting to see, um, but it is certainly a vast improvement to the description of walking through a parking lot to access, especially someone who needs more accessibility. So I'm, I'm thrilled to see that. Um, this goes into great detail about the Secretary of Interior standards, and rather than get into the specifics on the design, I really want to just, again, highlight the collaboration that's occurred with the community, with the developer, with the architects, the historic preservation consultants, and the preservation community. I think this is a good model for how we can work together to kind of get some of these details in the right place, and it's, it's complicated. So I appreciate all of the effort to make sure that we're meeting all of these standards. We're retaining the existing character. We're preserving it. Nothing distinct is being removed. If anything, it's being restored with the um, restoration of some of the outbuildings that are adjacent to the kind of outdoor party areas. Um, really, this is really helping to recognize this as a physical record of its time, place, and use. And I think a few people elaborated to that um, that it is over a period of time, but this really brings the building back to that original glory. Um, there are a number of other findings, quite a few, that are outlined in the staff report. I think a member of the public brought up the CEQA um, exemption. I like to put in as many exemptions that apply, and in this case it is two. Um, it is an existing facility, so 15301A class one existing facilities applies, but it is to my favorite CEQA exemption. 15331, which is a Class 31 Historic Resource <coughs> Restoration slash Rehab. As many of you know, CEQA sometimes dings you for having a historic property. And for something like this, we don't want to be bogged down by environmental review when we're doing restoration because we know that there are not impacts beyond that. Um, and as a result, these are exempt from CEQA, um, which leads me to approving this application based on all the findings, the CEQA exemption, as well as all the information presented today. I will go ahead and approve case number CDP 05220001 and HDR 05220001 as described in the staff report and as conditioned by staff. Thank you so much. And thanks, Jared. With that, that was our last item. The next item is staff communication, of which I would like to let everyone know that our general plan advisory committee will be meeting on Monday, March 18th at 6 p.m. in the city's community room down the hall at City Hall. We'll be talking about economic development. If you're interested in attending, it is open to the public, and we'd love to have you there. 
And other than that, thank you so much. We are adjourned. Have a good evening.